fellow planeswalkers. I'm James. And I'm Paul. And you're listening to the newest episode of the Commander Arms podcast. This week on the podcast, we are talking about giving and accepting help in Magic the Gathering. But before we do any of that, Paul, we have our upkeep trigger to do here. We're going to thank all of our patrons. You guys help keep the lights on in here. Uh, in, I guess, my studio and Paul's studio, because we do this, you know, over the internet, because we're fancy like that. Hey, hey. And uh, yeah, so if you want to help support the show directly, you can do that through patreon.com slash commander at arms. Uh, every tier gets access to our Discord channel, as well as the chance to play magic with us on stream, if you're in those two higher tiers. Uh, so please go check that one out. It's super awesome, and everyone gets access to uh, our merch discount when that goes when that goes live. Uh, Paul, do you have anything um, uh, mail day and interesting finds? Did you find or buy anything interesting lately? Nope. Uh, though I do plan to change that coming up here soon with uh, Kamigawa because that set looks absolutely nuts in many uh, many different ways. Um, yeah, that so. set is insane. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I pretty sure I talked about everything that I bought recently uh, over the last couple of episodes, but there was one thing brand new. Actually, two things, I think. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I did. I talked about the uh, the carpet of flowers that I bought uh, for my birthday slash Christmas from my nan. Uh, if not, hey, I bought a cup. I bought a carpet of flowers. Um, but recently, I'm still waiting for it to come into the mail, so I probably shouldn't say anything. But I'm going to anyway. I did pick up a really old enchantment from Ice Age, two and a black. It's just like animate dead. Mm. Can you guess what it is, Paul? Is, it, uh, is necromancy from Ice Age? No, it's not necromancy. It's an enchantment, not a sorcery. Yeah, necromancy. Necromancy is an enchantment. Um, oh, is it? Yeah, you can oh. just cast it as though it had flash. Is the thing. Oh, right. Uh, two and a black. Uh, no, one and a black. Oh, one and a black. Oh, it's just like Anime Dead. Is it Dance of the Dead? It's Dance of the Dead. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bought an OG uh, Dance of the Dead because I wanted one. And uh, I use it in my Rakdos reanimated decks. And now I have it in my Rakdos and my Orzov reanimated decks. And that's going to be fan freaking tastic to be able to cast that and be like, yeah, check it. This thing's I'm, awesome. I'm pretty sure there are only OG Dance of the Deads. I don't think there's a reprint of that card. Well, wizards get on it. Reprint Dance <laughs> of the Dead. So I can say I have the OG printing of Dance of the Dead. It was surprisingly cheap. I thought it was going to be a lot more than what it, what, what it was. I got mine for, I think, about $8 with like shipping and taxes. So it wasn't wasn't bad. That's pretty low, actually. Lower than even I expected. I thought it would be like 15 or so. Yeah, I was thinking like 15 for it as well, but no, nah, I mean, eight bucks for a Dance of the Dead is pretty dang good, especially from like the set that it was printed in, which is again, Ice Age. Um, but yeah, that's about all I've, I have bought or found recently. I haven't been going through my collection as much. I don't really have anything left that I haven't touched uh, in Man, a while. So that card would be so good if Kalamask could play it. I know, right? How good would that be? <laughs> Uh, anyway, moving on, we have our uh, YouTube videos to talk about. So go and check out our YouTube, or if you're listening to this on listening to this on YouTube, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, do all the things, hit the notification bell. If you haven't checked out the YouTube channel, it is youtube.com/slash commander at arms. Go and check that one out, please do. That's where we put our very first gameplay video. Yes, we've been talking about it for so long, and we finally got one out here. Uh, last week we streamed with Corey from the Commander Crew and Jason from the Commander Hub, and I edited that video down. I took the only game that was actually recorded from that whole session, uh, which was the last game, which was a fun kind of interactive spikier game, uh, and edited it down for the YouTube channel. So it is out now. Go and check that one out. Um, I think it's called like EDH Gameplay. I think it was like Kusho versus Yarrick versus Yorlock versus Muldrotha. Uh, yeah, go check that one out. Give it some supreme amount of love because we've been saying it for a while that we're going to do it and we did it. Yeah, go check it out. And if you want to watch us, like watch those, uh, those games being played live, you can do that, um, every Wednesday night at 8.30 PM EST, where we stream on our Twitch page, which is twitch.com, sorry, twitch.tv slash commander at arms. 
So if you're not followed on there either, go and follow us there as well because, I mean, you'll get notified when we go live, which again is every Wednesday. So far, it's just Wednesdays. We may add another day in if we can kind of fit it into our schedules. We're both kind of really busy, um, but, you know, there's never not times to give you guys hump day magic, which is what I like to call it. I don't know if we're going to coin that term, but... Um, it's already coined, mate. <laughs> the, um, the, 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 Wednesday, the Wednesday night streams are always going to be called hump day streams or hump day magic. <laughs> Um, so yeah, if you are listening to this, this episode of the podcast on release day, then you've already missed the stream. Um, but make sure you catch next week's stream, which I guess will be exactly six days from when you're listening to this, if it's on release day, yeah. whatever Wednesday nights tune in, but also, we'll uh, yeah, this week we're going to be having, oh, I guess like you would have already missed it by now, but, uh, this week we have Islane from the possibility storm. He's going to be on there as well. Uh, and our friend Jared Shaggy from the Discord server. So I know we've talked about him a lot. Uh, he's helped us do a lot of stuff on this on this uh, show and in the Discord. He's really active. Uh, so we thought we'd throw him a bone, give him some some screen time here so you guys can hang out with him as well. Uh, and yeah, it should be an absolute blast. And again, if you didn't catch the stream because we shouted it out too late, haha, that's on us. Um, you'll be able to catch the video that goes live uh, when it does. We're thinking about doing those on Monday, so keep an ear out for the schedule. You'll get notified if you've got the notification bell rung on YouTube. So if you don't, again, just go and do it for us, please. Like, come on. It's it's free. You know, like, I think it's like 99.9% of people who watch our videos are not subscribed yet. So, I mean, if you just want to hit the subscribe button, it's definitely going to help us be able to put more content into your eyes and your ears. Oh, also... Follow us on Twitch. Forgot to say that one. Yeah, no, no, I, I did. But okay. I, again, like, yes, please go follow us on Twitch. We need to hit that <laughs> affiliate and we need to get those 50, those 50 followers. So uh, yeah, go and help us out there as well. Uh, go and spread some of the Commander at Arms love on all of our different social avenues. Um, and I guess we should probably plug next week's stream where we're going to be having uh, Kev from the GMGC on there. So if you want to watch Kev from the GMGC play, we haven't got a fourth person yet. Uh, that one's kind of still up in the air. We may as well, we might even just bring Jason back because uh, he's a he's a good cat to, to kind of hang out with and play magic with. He knows a lot about the game. Uh, so yeah, go and, um, go and like us over there and do the things. All right, let's uh, talk about our play of the week, Paul. Do you have a play of the week? Uh, unfortunately, the only play of the week that I have uh, would be from last week's stream, which you can just uh, go check the VOD for that uh, over on YouTube. That's actually a really good point. Mine's not <laughs> from the stream, and I'm glad that you said that and you said yours was from the stream because, I mean, that was that was a damn good game. Uh, but mine was actually from a game that I played today. Uh, I got to play a quick game before we recorded here, uh, and I was playing with Jared, and he was doing his broken shenanigans, playing AC, he... Uh, did the old Avenger Zendikar into uh, Mystic Reflections, waiting for the ETB to hit the stack so that he could make all those plant tokens turn into copies of Avenger Zendikar. He made a hundred plants. He then started cracking his fetch lands and playing additional lands with AC. He made them 44 44s and said pass. And we're like, okay, we have one turn. I set myself up in Tesakarlov where I could get a free sack outlet that prevented damage with Marta's cause. I had things that was like Whenever the things died, I would get, you know, more tokens and everything. So I kind of like, all right, cool. I'm set up, pass. And then the other two players kind of did their thing and fumbled around a little bit. Didn't get the cards they wanted to do. We were trying to find for a board wipe or some sort of like cyclonic rift effect that wasn't cyclonic rift. Uh, and then we pretty much just waited for the attacks to come. And Jared, being Jared, knows how I play magic. And he decided to throw 50 of these 40 45s at me. Sorry, 44 45s. And I went, ah, oh, shit, I wasn't accounting for that many. <laughs> uh, so I basically like blocked as many as I could. And then before damage, I sacked my um uh my minister of obligations, made uh, because at this point he'd already killed my Taser, killed two off. Uh sorry, uh killed that. Made two more black and white spirit creature tokens. Everyone lost one because I had Aristocrat's piece on the table and then proceeded to just to keep like, you know, sacking things and getting more things and and, and preventing damage and kind of calculating how many I had blocked and how many I was preventing damage from. I got to 40 before I could just say, yeah, okay, I'm going to take the rest of the 10 of the 44s to the face <laughs> and died. 
So it was it was pretty fun. It was really, really fun to see. And that's the kind of shenanigans that you can expect on the stream or I guess maybe even in the VOD. So, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that we get into. But with all that said and done, Paul, let's get into our main phase one here where we're going to start talking about, I guess this is the the part where we talk about giving help in magic, right? Yeah. And this is something that is a uh, this is a sensitive topic. It varies amongst people. Uh, so everything that we're about to say, bear in mind that uh, this is from personal experience uh, of things that I prefer. Um, but I am generally like a pretty open person. I'm very easy to get along with. There's like very few people in the world that I genuinely cannot associate with. So things that bother me, I would assume bother everybody. And I think James will back me up on this one. There's nary a person that I've met ever that I'm like, I don't like you. Um, but anyway, so uh, what we're going to say here, obviously, uh, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, it may not pertain to you. But we just wanted to talk about this because uh, this is something that even I have struggled with. Uh, mainly, this is the second part of this I've struggled with, but we'll get to that in a bit. So uh, opening up here, offering help. Uh, we're going to start with the things that you don't want to do when you offer help. Um, and a big one is uh, try not to imply that somebody's card choice is questionable. Uh, by that, I mean, like, if somebody's playing, I don't know, any commander, doesn't matter which one, like, they're playing an Aloro deck, and you see them open up on Azoria's Guildgate, and you're, you're like, wow, uh... Why are you playing tap lands? Like, uh, nothing you're doing or nothing you're playing really makes sense. They're just not efficient. Um, I mean, a lot of people play, still play tap lands, right? But I mean, like, that's that that's the why are you playing a guild gate that is unfetchable that comes in tapped over, let's say, the Kaldheim tapped dual lands that are searchable. Yeah, and while it seems innocent enough on the surface, like statements like that have hidden implications, even if you don't intend them to. Yeah. Uh, like maybe the person who's playing that Guildgate didn't know about the Kaldheim snow covered or I think, I think they are snow permanents, aren't they? They're snow dual lands or something. Yeah. There's, there's snow lands with dual typing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe they didn't even know that they were even a thing and maybe it's a precon they're playing and those Guildgates are willy nilly in all precons these days. Um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much exactly what I'm going for here. Like, if, if somebody thinks that the cards they're picking for a whole deck are not good enough, you know, quote, end quote, then the chances of them being motivated to build other decks are going to be rather low. And in a game where we want as many people to play as possible, uh, both for our sake and the game's sake, uh, it's just not a good investment strategy, basically, to... To be naysaying people. Um, yeah, I... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, I very much agree with you on that. And I think I have more to say about the second point, because I had a really good po point pop into my head as I was, like, kind of thinking about this. Um, but I wanted to move into the second little tidbit of topic talking points here before we kind of jumped into that point. So, yeah, I mean, if you've got something that you want to segue in with, go ahead. Well, I mean, you've got written here in the script that it says, like, you know, use extreme... Uh, extreme uh, promontuous wording, presumptuous, Pres presumptuous <laughs> wording. God, I cannot read. And also my phone cracked it. My phone screen is cracked. So it's really hard to see some of the words. Um, like X is better than Y. So X is bad and you should play Y instead. Now I'm like that. Ha that's happened to me many, many times. I'll play a deck. Uh, I mean, I don't want to harp on about Tulane, but that was a flicker deck just doing some fun things with rune. And then they were like, oh, well, you're playing two lanes, so you should be playing X, Y, and Z because they're just strictly better cards in that deck. Like, why do you want to go going for that flicker theme if you're going to be playing that that commander? And I kind of went, oh, okay, like, I guess maybe I can just change it. And then I kept getting harped on about how, like, it was so strong if it was built this way and everything else. And then I kept getting attacked like I was the typical, you know, quote-unquote meta two lane deck. So I changed it to being that meta Tulane deck and was just like, now I'm just going to smash face with it because you guys, you know, harp it on me for having a theme deck using a strong commander. I mean, yeah, I didn't really think it was that strong at the start. Now the way they have the deck, he is, you know, quite strong, which you'll probably see one day on the stream. Um, 
But do you think the introduction of like everybody to EDH rec and their ability to kind of show off, like, you know, you, you, you type in the, you go to Google, you type in the, the, the card that you want, say you want to build like a morph deck and you type in Kadena slinking sorcerer, you find the EDH rec page and it gives you the recommendations for all of the top played cards, the best synergistic cards. And then from there, it is all of the value creatures, enchantments, artifacts, planeswalkers, um, mana, I think they're mana artifacts and even lands as well. Like it will tell you everything. And then if you want to, you could even uh, like do average deck and it will just take all of the cards that are averaged out across all of the Cadena decks on the database and just make you an average Cadena deck. And I'm wondering if that is kind of what's causing this mentality of magic players to say, that's why that card is bad. And this card is good because this one is played in X amount of decks, according to EDH rec. Uh, I, I would say that definitely plays a pretty big role. Um, I think it's just more so that when, when you're playing with random people, which, you know, this isn't always the case, but for a lot of the things that we mentioned, we do take into account, not really when you're playing with friends, more so when you're like, you go out to the LGS and you get a group of three other people together, you know, um, when you're playing with seemingly random people, all all you really know is how you build a deck, right? That that's that's all you enter that game with. And when somebody builds it differently than you would, I feel like a lot of people just have trouble translating that into a meaningful way with somebody they don't know. You know, with your friends, obviously, it's a little more acceptable to be like, uh, I haven't really like seen that many people play that card. Why are you playing that? I mean that that's still a little on the on the how you go inside, but uh, something's lost in translation when you're playing in a, in a pot of random people there. And yeah, uh, there's always like that underlying kind of factor about what you've said to somebody. You don't know how they're gonna take it either, and that's the hard thing about magic is you've got to realize that your actions in the game and your your spoken words also affect the game state as well as your actions so your actions in game as well as what you're saying have consequences i guess is what i'm trying to get at here and no matter like like you could do stuff in the game that seems like whatever like cool but you realize that they've got consequences but then also what you say to people is like hey why are you playing like why is that card in your deck like that is just trash like obviously no one's gonna ever say that's trash unless they're like legitimately joking and that's kind of more something you would say with friends and i mean even when like deck building as well i've had people ask me why i'm playing certain cards and i just can't if i can't give them an answer they're just like well then it's you know they're like oh why are you playing this card and i always feel like it's i always get like self-conscious about showing people decks that aren't like fully optimized like if it's just a a, a theory crafting idea and they go like well 75 percent of these cards are just gutter trash like you wouldn't even use them any in any other format like why would you put them in this deck and it's like because like they're cards that I don't really get to see or the cards that I don't really get to play. And these are the things that I want to be able to do. And I wonder if that's again, just becoming like a homogenization of, of deck building really. I think it's more so a split between maybe older players and new, but that, that aside, I actually want to bring up a personal anecdote about these first two statements we made. I was actually playing at, uh, my former LGS, uh, before I moved, um, still in Florida, but, uh, different store. And, I was playing my Brago deck. Uh, some dude walks up. Uh, he's like, "Oh, you're playing Brago." Picks up the commander, reads it. Pretty sure he knew what he did it or what it did already. But he picks it up. He then he puts it back down. And he says, "Well, your first problem is that you're playing creatures in your Brago deck." And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> that's cool. I guess I like creatures. I like value. Like that. That that's an example of something you should not do." If I was anybody else in the world, pretty sure that guy would have uh, been berated right there. <laughs> but, you know, I digress. Um, Yeah, I mean, but Paul, serious question. Why are you playing creatures in Brago? Like, what what value have you got in a flicker deck to play creatures that you can flicker yeah, with Brago? Yeah, that's true. Did I play Brago in the first game of the stream last week? Yes. Yes, I did. Yes, you did. But that game, you're not going to get to see if you don't tune into the live stream. On Wednesday nights. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, put a time gate on it. It's true. <laughs> we only ever put one game up from those uh, from those games. So if you want to see both games being played, just check out the stream. 
come and anyway. hang out with us. We get to <laughs> you get to talk in real time with us. And if you can't make it, the vod will be up. So I, again, neat little uh, mid episode plug. There, <laughs> yeah, so many plugs. We should be wearing thongs. Uh, um, not those kinds of thongs. Uh, uh, I mean flip flops. Um, yeah. What's also funny about this is that the way that me and James actually started playing Magic was the complete opposite of this. James is like, I hate playing against your decks, which is also something that you probably <laughs> should not say to somebody. It just worked out for the best year. <laughs> I never said I hated playing against your decks. It was just a like, hey man, I'm playing a Dirtle Moldrotha value deck and you're just doing too many things that I can't keep up with. Can you bring it down a notch? <laughs> is essentially what I was trying to get at, but what came across is I'm a salty bitch and I don't want to play against your strong decks, Paul. <laughs> uh, all right. Just wanted to bring up a couple points there that were funny. Uh, moving on here, though, uh, another big don't here. And this is one that's actually, as I see more and more new players pop up on like Twitter and such, this one's becoming extremely important. Uh, don't, and I'm actually going to merge these last two points into one here just because they're so similar. Don't make somebody feel bad for not knowing about a card or an interaction. Like, if they have to pick up and read that card to know what it does, no matter how many times they have to read it or how long they take, let them do that. Not everybody is going to know what... Like, we did it at the beginning of the, of the episode, actually. James mentioned an enchantment from Ice Age that d does what Animate Dead does. A new player's not going to know what the hell we're talking about. Nope. I mean, I knew Dance of the Dead because I've been playing Magic for a while, but like, I would not expect like somebody that started playing even like a year ago to know what that does. Unless you are like heavily in playing Rakdos or any kind of like reanimate strategy, then maybe you should know what Dance of the Dead is. But any average one of the mill brand new commander player or even brand new magic player is not going to know an innocuous uh, enchantment from, from Ice Age. Yeah, and there's even a card uh, coming out in Kamigawa. It's like a one white. It's basically an instant speed like a uh, uh, silence thing. Uh, it's it's it turns something into an uh, an a cre it uh, it turns a creature or an artifact into a vehicle. Whatever. That's a whole different topic altogether. I'm I'm gonna skip over that one for now. Um, but also, don't make somebody feel like their playstyle or their experience in the game is invalidated just because they haven't played for X amount of time uh, or because they haven't seen that particular card before. Like, I, I, I know for sure people have been judged at stores because they had to pick up and read a card. And I know this for a fact because people have talked to me about those players. They're like, man, can you believe that guy had to read that card? And I just, like, I can't, I can't entertain that for that long. You know, like even in the in my most miserable games where I just didn't want to play that game, I can't sit there and be like, "Yeah, like this guy clearly doesn't know what they're doing." Uh, I, I I'm never playing with them again. And there have been people that have you know <laughs> really tested that, and uh, it's just it's not it's it's not how you how you get people to play the game. And it's not. And I feel like <laughs> you and I have had very different local game store experiences. Uh, Probably. Mine have been genuinely positive. Uh, there have been a couple of instances, even with my like my actual close LGS that I buy my cards from, uh, where I I was playing Chulane and I always got known as that combo player and I was getting a bad <laughs> rep for that. And I'm like, but I'm like, I'm following all the rules because it was a league. So I'm like, I'm following all the rules. I'm doing everything fine. And they're still like, well, you're that combo player and you're playing that band deck. And it was like, oh, okay, cool. No worries. I'm out. See you later. And it, like, it wasn't, it wasn't much. And it wasn't, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't much, but it was just enough to deter me from going back to that store and playing and like spending money to play there. If the experience is just going to be like, no one's really, you know, keeping on track with the rules and everything. But again, that is a massive different segue to a, to a different thing of like a behavioral issue with, uh, with LGSs and not how do you give help in magic? And uh, that's, that's pretty much all the things that you probably should not be doing. If you uh, want to, you know, be a positive force, help out, help, help people out. Uh, 
now we can talk about a couple things that you probably that, that'll, that'll make your experience a lot better and easier if you do want to be genuinely helpful. Uh, and the first and foremost is uh, consent. Uh, you want to ask if it's okay to offer advice, especially true, like I mentioned before, if you're playing with like random people in a pod at the LGS or something. Yeah. Um, this one's big. I know that for a lot of people out there, this one might seem obvious, but I myself am guilty of being like, you know, just, just offering help. And I always clarify afterward if I feel like I'm being obnoxious. Hey, I, like, I, I don't mean this the wrong way. Like, I'm genuinely just trying to be helpful. Um, but this is a big one. Not everybody wants help. That's okay. Not everybody needs to have help. Um, always clarify with them before you offer advice or like card suggestions and stuff if that's something that they're looking for. Uh, big, big, big one. Always yeah, do always be like, when, when I do it, it's always like, okay, you've done it. Like, that's how you played your turn. And, and I'm always like, hey, did you want to know a different way you could have done that? Or, you know, it's 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 like, can I offer you some advice on the way that, you know, these work kind of thing? Or um, did you know that this interaction is possible if you have done it, if you had done it this way? You know, so it's not like affecting the game state. It's, it's, it's kind of like, all right, cool. We went down the way that you were going to do it because that's, you know, the way that you want to play your turn. But I'm, I'm more like, it's more of like, hey, did you did you know that that this does this, or did you know that like this interaction happens, or like because you may they may not have been, you know, they may not know what what happens because I mean we're talking about twenty thousand cards in a in a pool of commander cards, you know, um, and I've had people do this to me all the time. Uh, I think you've done this to me a couple times, Paul. You've been like, hey, did you know this this and this, and I'm like, nope. But that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> like while we're playing, and this also comes into one of my biggest pet peeves. Uh, that I'm just gonna kind of flip the script on a little bit here is backseat driving commander games, and that is when somebody who plays a deck, and instead of like offering help, they will just tell you how to play the turn, or they'll like they'll kind of script it out for you and be like, oh, if you had done, if you do this, and then you do that, and then if you, and then if you had targeted that. And then I would have done this. And it's like, that's not how magic's meant to be. It's not all one-sided like that. And I've I've had a couple of those experiences and it's kind of really hard to bring up when it's happening besides just saying, hey, can you not do that? Because it's not fun. It's not comfortable. I don't like to play magic that way or kind of something as similar along those lines or kind of just riding through it. And then, or just add politics on top of it. And be like, if you're going to keep doing it, like, I'm I'm just going to keep attacking you or I'm going to do something that's going to hurt you in the game because you're affecting the way that I want to play the game. Um, yeah, and it is it is one of my biggest pet peeves, as well as having other players come over to the table looking at somebody's hand and being like, oh, play this, and then tapping and looking at someone's target and be like, yeah, yeah, this against that. That, that, yeah, that that's your threat assessment right there. And it's like, don't, don't do that either. That's, that's bad. But back to do's. So I just want to throw that in there because that was kind of a little anecdote that I've had and experiences that I've had in, you know, when people try to offer help and they offer help too far, they, they go too far over the line. They don't ask, they don't, they don't give consent that they, they, there's nothing there. It's just literally, I'm going to show you, I'm going to tell you how you have to play your hand or how, how you have to play those permanents. Yeah. Like you didn't play mind slaver, dude. Don't take yeah, my right? turn. Yeah, right. Like if you want to take my <laughs> turn, just mind slaver me. Don't Mindslaver lock me, but just play Mindslaver, pay the mana, and then sure, you can take my turn as much as you want because you've paid the mana and you've done it legally in the means of the game. One of my favorite things to do when I... I, I haven't Mindslaver somebody in a long time. Something that I actually am going to try to remedy soon. Um, but I used to love when I would Mindslaver people. I would I would pick up the hand and I would, <laughs> I would play their turn. And in the middle of the turn, I'd be like, ah, man, I'm such a good deck builder. <laughs> <laughs> It's both a compliment and a joke. <laughs> yeah. I I feel like I'm always the target for Mindslaver. Uh, every time there's been an Emicral cast, it's on me because I usually have the scariest board state or just the most amount of cards in my hand. Or I have the ways to mess everybody else up. So it's usually me who gets targeted with Mindslaver effects. And I'm cool with it to a point. Kind of. Maybe. Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, moving on here. Uh I think I've actually brought this up before, 
um, try to present your advice, your advice, sorry, in the uh, in the form of a question. Um, James actually kind of already touched on this, so I won't spend too much time on it. But like, instead of saying you could do this, 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 and this, you could phrase it as, "Hey, uh, I, I wasn't sure if you uh, saw this, but you could actually like do the same thing, but you could leave like that mountain untapped if you just do this, 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 and this instead." And thing interactions like that are really like how we become better players. Learning on your own is a huge pain in the ass. You can do it, and I, no, nobody's going to flame you for it. You just learn a lot more, a lot faster, when you have eight eyes on you instead of just your own two. Yeah, you know? it's kind of like you learn something in a vacuum, and then expanding it outside of that vacuum, you could get 15, 20 different opinions on how you know something works or, or anything, and... If you stay inside that vacuum, it's going to be harder for you to kind of branch out and learn new possibilities and new ways of even looking at certain cards. Because, I mean, there have been cards that have come out or cards that I have played that even I've gone, hold on a second, this can hit something? Like, <laughs> how many of you out there, and answer this truthfully, uh, how, many out you, how many of you out there know that Finale of Devastation allows you to go through your hand and or your graveyard to find a creature? I believe it's deck and or graveyard. Sorry, not hand. It's yes, it is library. <laughs> sorry, it is library and graveyard to find a creature. And let I us know that. on Twitter because I'm genuinely like not concerned, but I'm genuinely intrigued to see how many, how many people out there actually know that because there have been a lot of times where I've gone, you know, someone's gone finale of devastation and they've riffled their library and gone, oh no, like the card I want isn't in here. Oh, where is it? Where could it be? You know, it's not in my hand, it's not in, not in my library. And I just go, it's in the graveyard. And they're like, where is it? I'm like, it's in the graveyard. And then and then I'm just like, hey, um, yeah, I think that creature is in your graveyard. Um, which, funnily enough, Finale Devastation allows you to go and look through your graveyard to find that creature and put it back on the battlefield. And they go, oh, it does? Oh, oh wow, I didn't know that. And I'm like, yeah, because nine times out of ten, or even nine and a half times out of ten, you never look in the graveyard. You're always looking through your library. I knew that. Well, I knew you knew that. <laughs> I wasn't questioning you, Paul. I was questioning the, the viewers and the listeners. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, following up on that, though, uh, talking about some more minor things here, more, more so on the courtesy side of things. Uh, if someone misses a trigger... And there's actually a good example of this. Um, I don't know if this VOD would still be up, but we were on Beth's stream, Queen of Cardboard, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago or so. It was in January. Yeah, maybe a couple weeks ago or so. Um, and we were playing with... Is it Matt? I think it's Matt. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Matt. Um, and he had a card that triggered at the beginning of each combat. And uh, at the beginning of the next turn's combat, I was like... Uh, I think uh, I think we have a trigger to resolve here from uh, from Matt's creature. I didn't say Matt, you should read the damn card. <laughs> I I didn't say <laughs> Matt. Uh, so in case you don't know what combat is, you know, like that, that would just I would just oh, be an absolute wow. dick at that point. That <laughs> like, was that is so condescending. <laughs> I'm sure, unless you don't know what combat phase is, well, it's the start of the game. It's the part of the game where you get to actually attack with those creatures that you play in your main phase one on your last turn because they're coming with summoning sickness. <laughs> Wow, just just a way to like you know ex just explain the game to someone as they're playing. Be like, well, unless you didn't know, uh, yeah, that's 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 bad. Don't do that. Never yeah, do just that. Just a just a polite reminder. You know, I do like what you did though, Paul. Uh, when you were like, you went to your combat. You're like, I'm gonna go to combat. Uh, Matt, I believe you have a trigger. That is what I did. Yes. <laughs> and then he was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I do. And and I notice you do that a lot when people have missed three or four triggers of their like triggers from their own permanence. You'd be like, oh, hey, I heard you've got a, got a trigger. And that is actually something that I have adopted as well. Um, I will always be like, you know, if someone's got a smothering charge or risk study out, I'll always be like, yeah, don't pay the one. You can, or I'm like, yep, I'll pay the one. Or, you know, I'm not paying for my smothering tithe. Or I'll be like, yep, I'll do this. Um, you have a trigger to resolve first. Let's put that on the stack and resolve it. And I, like, I've become more meticulous about putting things on the stack in correct order and then resolving them correctly. And I feel like it just kind of helps the flow of the game because then everyone feels like they're not having their stuff missed. And it's kind of like, it's 
it feels like quote unquote DMing a game of magic in my own turn without doing it in other people's turn. That doesn't feel in like invasive of other people's you know turns and how to tell them how to play. Just be like, oh hey, like we've got a trigger. Let's let's resolve that trigger first, and let's then we can move on, and we can go to your main phase or your end step. Uh, or in this case, uh, speaking of Matt's combat phase, we can uh, go to combat. And we can go to combat. That's a good segue. I like that. Uh, I am going to, uh, before combat, I'm going to cast Finale Devastation, Executing 10, and I'm going to look through my library. I'm looking. I'm still looking. Uh, I'm going to grab Crater Hoof Behemoth, and I'm going to slap down on the battlefield, and then I'm going to attack you with everything, Paul. How would you How would you wish to block? Um, I will cast Comeuppance. <laughs> well. Yeah, as we go to I our guess. break here, why don't you go look up that card? <laughs> and then come back and tell us all about it. Uh, go tell us on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, I guess with that, we're going to go pass through our combat phase, which I guess we're already in. And we're going to hear, mis- hear a message from our sponsors right now. Welcome back from that ad break. Uh, did you look up comeuppance? Because I know I did. Actually, I didn't. <laughs> uh, we've done with combat. Let's pass through to our main phase two here, where we're going to be talking about the accepting help part of magic. So you're not on the side of giving the advice, but you're on the side of now accepting the help that somebody else is trying to provide to you. Uh, Accepting help is actually something that even to this day, I struggle with. I've always been very much of a, uh, what's the term? A rogue brewer. I really like building my own stuff. I like refining my own stuff. I like my own stuff. (laughs) That's really the only way I can explain it. And so even today, and this is also, this also contributes to one of the reasons why I have trouble updating my decks is because I like to do it all myself. And opening up to uh, having other people help me build decks and refine them and, you know, say this is, this can come out for this, et cetera, is really an art that I've had to work on over the past four or five years or so. Um, and getting into content creation has actually helped a lot with that because I'm kind of forced to do that, right? A lot of what we do is done with the community in mind. So I have to think and work with many people on a lot of the things that we do. In particular, I usually have to work with James, which would make sense. Um, I mean, you don't, you don't have to, you could always build <laughs> decks with other people, I guess. Like, I think there might be one cool. deck that I like straight up put together and sent to James and he was like, yep, this is good. This is everything that I would do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that was, wasn't that Zara's house of bounce? Was it? No, it was, uh, I think it was the deck that we actually built for Kyle. Was it? Oh yes. The, uh, the Draco Lich Ebon death. Yes. Uh, I think that mono was black control deck. Because our friend Kyle was like, yeah, man, I'll get back into magic, but I love black magic. Like, I love, like, the black magic and, and like, swamps and, like, all that kind of cool stuff. And I like controlling magic as well. And I was like, oh, boy, I have the deck for you. So uh, <laughs> um, I didn't do it. Paul did it. He brought it to me and was like, what do you think? And it was kind of like that scene uh, from Pulp Fiction. This is a deep, deep cut. And our, like... Our older viewers will, will probably get this one, um, where they open up the the briefcase and like the shiny light comes out, and that's what that felt like to me. <laughs> um, I think I actually teched that deck for the channel on YouTube. Almost either one of us did. It, I I can't remember anymore. I it might have it might have been myself, but I knew you built it. It may have been. Um, but at any rate, talking about accepting help here. That that was just a personal personal anecdote to segue in here. Um, something that I've come to realize is just because other people help you build a deck doesn't mean that it's not your own creation. Uh, you started that deck. You put the initial, like, whatever, however many cards you had, like 150, 200 cards together. Having help making cuts, having help replacing cards later on doesn't make it any less of your creation. Like, my Marisil deck... I've that is actually that's a bad example because that one I'm very proud of that one I actually have worked on largely by myself um what's a better example Brago there we go because <laughs> it came up earlier today I've had a lot you of need people, more creatures in Brago Paul I've had a lot I've had that <laughs> deck exchange hands a lot uh because that is one of the decks I struggled the most with with cuts um that and Moldrotha um and I've had 
a lot of people's input on those decks. Um, so many people. I've, I've, I would say that based on other people's input, I've cut over time maybe like 10 to 20 cards from each of those decks, maybe even more from Muldrotha. Muldrotha's changed a lot. Um, yeah, so uh, having help doesn't mean that you didn't put the effort in to make that deck. Um, another thing, because I'm a math guy, so I, I threw this one in here. Uh, when you have so many players, which literally we have so many players compared to a lot of games, especially like card games, uh, there is a an absolutely tremendous sample size of cards being used across various decks. Uh, so when somebody offers input, like you can actually like check it out for yourself, you know? You can say like, hey, thanks, uh, I'll, I'll check it out and uh, maybe I'll throw it in, you know? Um, and we we had this happening a lot when we were playing at BAM, more than I've seen it happening when, when playing over webcam. Uh, I remember when I started playing at BAM, yourself and a couple of our other friends would just be like, hey, have you heard of this card? Oh, this card goes really well. Actually, there's a really good uh, anecdote about that one is I was playing Muldrothor and um, one of the guys in our playgroup, Sean, he was like, oh, have you heard of Mystic, what is it, uh, Mystic Remora? It's an enchantment that go. it's like, it's an auto-include in that deck. And I hate the term auto-include, but this was before the podcast days. And he was like, yep, it's an auto-include, you need one. And whipped out his binder and was like, here it is. And I was like, okay. He was like, you can have this one. I have three of them. And I went, oh, okay, awesome, cool. Didn't know why it was an auto-include. Didn't understand what the card even did because it, again, is an Ice Age card. It has a cumulative upkeep. And to a player who has never never even seen a cumulative upkeep, I was like, huh? Okay. Like, I'm an old player. I've been playing since Tempest, but I started, like, playing limited Tempest. I didn't know about all the other cards before then or some of the cards after that. Uh, and I was kind of like, yep, okay, cool, awesome. I read it. And I was like, oh, this is a good card because, you know, you can just keep bringing it back with Maldrotha for one mana. And, uh... Yeah, so it was kind of like he was helping me. He helped me by telling me like this was a good card to put in the deck and also kind of provided me with the card, um, which was super nice of him to do because not many people are going to do that, especially for a guy I only knew for a couple of months. Um, and then there have been other instances of the same thing where uh, you and I, Paul, have been looking through new sets, old sets, uh my draft chaff, your draft chaff and stuff and going, oh, this would be a good card for a certain certain deck. Or when I came to you and I said, uh, I needed a nature's claim and you were like, nature's claim? Pfft, no one plays that card anymore. It's what, I mean, what do you mean? It's one mana, it's instant mid removal. If you want, you can get rid of someone's soul ring turn one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I genuinely represent the divide between old players and new players. Because yeah. like my my experience was limited literally to the people that I've played with. Which I have yeah. never, I had never seen a Nature's Claim played ever, except for like I had one in one of my decks. So when James pointed out, like, dude, are you kidding me? Like that card's played everywhere. I decided to hop on this old thing they call the internet and uh, <laughs> <laughs> look up uh, Nature's Claim play rate or something, something to that effect. And uh, yeah, apparently it's pretty popular. <laughs> I mean, it's one mana, it destroys target artifact or enchantment, and its controller gains for life. Yeah. The amount of soul rings I've destroyed with that thing, turn one, is mwah, chef's kiss. Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, you give them four life, but I'd rather have them four extra life that I have to get rid of later in the game than two extra mana on turn two. Like, who wants someone untapping with four mana on turn two? Just nature's claim it. And that is a good suggestion for everyone out there playing green. Nature's claim. Fantastic card. Please pick it up. <laughs> uh I actually pulled out every copy I had of that card from my bulk uh, shortly thereafter. Um, I'm still buying copies of Nature's Claim. Every time I buy a card, I always throw in a Nature's Claim because I'm like, yeah, it's 25 cents. It's, it's 30, <laughs> 25 to 30 cents. Who cares? Just throw it in there. It's it's a nickel or it's a nickel. No, it's a which one's it's a it's a quarter. Sorry, I, I'm really bad at American money. Uh, and their terms, so that's neither here nor there. But yeah, it, it's a quarter. Who cares? Like you're not gonna see, you're not gonna use that twenty five cents again unless it's to destroy someone's soul ring. So just do it. Just yeah, just, get just, just fill, it. just fill in your uh, your shipping costs with uh, nature's claims. No worries. Exactly <laughs> right, and you'll never not need a copy of nature's claim. Um. <clears throat> now uh, I kind of like sorry, touched on this in the first 
half of the episode, but about like the card pool of 20,000 cards and not knowing interactions and everything. Yeah. Just like if you're on the receiving side of someone being like, Hey, this interaction happens, just be like, Oh, I didn't know that. And then you can like, that lets you then like, you know, read the cards and kind of figure out the way that it works. So you can understand it in your own head as well as having it explained to you. Yeah. is cool. That's not exactly how I learn. So I'm going to point this as a, I'm going to talk about this in the direction that if I was receiving the help, it's, it's good for me to be like, you know, if Paul said, actually, there was one that you gave me, Paul, but I knew the two cards were in my deck and that was in Yarrick, um, Man of War and Peregrine Drake. Uh, Peregrine Drake. And I knew, I know those two cards inside out, upside down, backwards, reversed, uh, mirrored even. But I didn't think about the interaction of being able to get double ATBs on the Man of War to then bounce the Peregrine Drake and the Men of War back to my hand to then be able to cast it and then untap, you know, 10 more lands and make infinite mana that way. That is another interaction that I, again, had in my deck that I didn't know was there until Paul pointed it at it. And I was like, holy shit, you are correct. That is <laughs> amazing. And it is now a line of play that I use in my Yarrick deck to generate infinite mana. And I love it. It's fantastic. Other people have pointed things out to me and it's just about coming at it with an open mind and not letting our eagerness or our, our spikiness come out and be like, well, I know everything about this game. I'm so good. I've been playing for this many years and I know all interactions of every card ever possible, printed or non-printed. I know them all. <laughs> Unfortunately, to burst your bubble there a little bit, <laughs> you don't know them all. And that's totally fine. And that's that humbling experience of playing casual commando where you're like, oh, it's okay to say you don't know something about Magic the Gathering. This game is so complicated and so complex that you're never going to know everything about it. And that's okay. It doesn't, you don't have to know everything about it. And just because you know maybe the, like the middlest amount of magic at the table, still fine. If someone says to you, hey, you know, if, if, if Paul came to me and said, hey, did you know that this and this interacted with this to, to give you this result and you didn't, be like, oh man, that's sick. I didn't know that, but now I do. And now I'm going to add that to my database and my knowledge pool of how to play, my, how to pilot this deck so that next time I can use it and be like, yeah, this deck just got so much better because of this interaction. And that's happened with me with Yarrick because that is a deck that I brewed. And then I was like, Paul, this has been said that's too strong. Bring it down to kind of like your level. And then I'll bring it back up a little bit to my level and we'll kind of have, have this happy medium of where this Yarrick brew needs to be. Uh, and that deck is also on YouTube, so go and check it out. Um, but I have added my little tasty spin to it and it now sits in a spot where I know how to pilot it. I know most of the interactions in there and it's a lot of fun to play. And it, you know, Paul helped me build it and gave me a lot of advice on it and I was very open and accepting to it. So... If you're able to do that and kind of take your ego out of it and not be like, I know everything, I'm the best, uh, then you may just, you know, learn two or three new things about the deck that you've been playing for 10 years. Now, a lot of what we've been talking about has been like theoretical or, well, we're not telling you how to accept help. We're only discussing like ways in which you might receive help. I, I don't really know how best to explain that. But we're, we're kind of we're kind of <laughs> opening the door for you and giving you examples, but you have to walk through. You have to step through the door yourself. We're right. just saying, hey, this is how we've done it in the past. These are the examples. Take it as you will, because as as Paul said at the start of the episode, everything with a grain of salt, because that's the best way to take these kind of episodes. Um, and kind of just go from there. And then take your own spin on it and just try just like, you know, if you play it optimally in one game, it's not the end of the world. You're never going to play perfectly in every single game. And if someone happens to bring something up to you, don't dismiss it straight away. Just be like, okay, yeah, sure. Like I'll, I'll listen to you for 10 seconds. Okay, cool. And then you can, you know, once you, once you've, once you've heard them out, then courtesy states that they would then hear you out and you then become a then it becomes a discussion about said interaction which i have i have had and i've explained on the uh on previous episodes of the podcast before um honestly a way i like to quote accept help end quote and this isn't literally accepting help is i love when people play my decks 
like people will find out things about your decks that you didn't even know existed. Um, yeah. And that's one way I've learned a lot about my decks. With the exception of, unfortunately, Marisil, uh, people don't really like to play that deck. Uh, it's uh, complicated. It uh, is. <laughs> and it is a mountain that I want to tackle one day. Because <clears throat> I want to play Marisil. But uh, yeah, I, I, I want to try it. But I don't know. I'm kind of... I'm I'm intimidated by it. <laughs> There's just a lot of unorthodox uh, cards and interactions in there that uh, yeah. take a while to get used to. Um, but at any rate, I don't really have anything else to say about this topic. Uh, I hope that we have been of help to you, lol. <laughs> <laughs> Pun intended, I guess. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, if you want to keep this conversation going, please reach out to us on our, all of our socials. We have them linked below, but you know, what's the 85th time of plugging our own socials. If you want to get at us and continue this conversation, you can do it on Twitter or Instagram at CMDR at arms. Uh, also check out all of our deck techs and our, now our gameplay videos on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash commander at arms. Check out and come hang out with us on Twitch when we stream live on Wednesdays, 8.30 p.m. EST, every Wednesday with your favorite content creators, uh, twitch.tv slash commander at arms. Don't forget to follow us and tell everyone, tell everyone about us. If you want to get cards delivered to your door, cheapest price as possible, shipped directly and you know, the fastest possible way while helping us and your local game store, you can do that through our TCG affiliate link, which is tcgplayer.com slash commander at arms. If you want to rep the commander at arms logo across your chest, you can do that with our uh, commander at arms shirt, which is on a Bella canvas. It's super soft and comfortable. And I love wearing mine. I wear mine every time I go to an LGS. I even wear mine, wear mine when I make videos or when I stream just because I love that shirt so much. You can do that in the link below. It'll take you to the Bad Fred Design Co. Etsy page, which hosts all of our merch stuff. Go and check out their wooden deck boxes as well. They're fantastic quality. Again, I've got six of them on stream and I show them off whenever I can. Uh, if you want to support the show directly, you can do that through Patreon, which is patreon.com slash commander at arms. All tiers get access to the Discord server and the higher end tiers will have a chance to play Magic with us live on our Twitch page, which will then get featured on our YouTube channel. So go and check that one out. And if you're not subbed, go sub. And uh, with that, Paul, do you have any final thoughts that you want to say to the lovely listeners today? But of course. Thank you all so much for tuning in and listening. Uh, it means a lot to both me and James that you took the time to do so. Uh, you know, even if it was, even if this is the first and last episode you ever have or ever will listen to, you still took the time to do it, to sit down, even if it was five minutes or the whole hour or whatever, uh, it's time you could have spent doing anything else. So thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I do hope that everybody is enjoying the new YouTube content, the, uh, the gameplay. It's something that has been requested for a while and me and James are really excited to finally be able to provide that uh, another another source of entertainment for those who pr prefer videos. Uh, so please check that out. Let us know what you think. Let us know things we can improve. And me and James are very uh, responsive to criticism. We take it to heart right away, and we change things very quickly. So please let us know. And with that, I'm James. And I'm Paul. And you've been listening to the newest episode of the Commander at Arms podcast. And remember, arm yourself with knowledge. Peace. See ya.